chapter 23. And uh, let's begin reading in verse number 33 tonight. Amen. Luke 23, verse 33. The Bible says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the power of it. Thank you, Lord, that it's infallible and arid. It, Lord, it's forever settled in heaven. But I'm glad this is not just a book I hold in my hand tonight, but this is the word of God, and we thank you for that. And Lord, as we open up your word, I pray, God, that you touch us and use us, cleanse us of sin, empty us of self, fill us with thy spirit. Lord, save that soul near as hell tonight. Encourage us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Once again, we have taken our text from this very famous chapter of the word of God as we are... I think this is sermon number 13 that we have preached about the road to Calvary, around Calvary, concerning the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the context of Scripture we have just read, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He is being crucified. He is dying for our sins. Jesus will hang on the cross for six hours. He will hang for three hours in the daylight. And then during the, third, the, the last three hours, God will tell the sun not to shine. He will tell the moon not to shine. He will tell the stars to go and hide. It was not an eclipse. God turned the light out for three hours. It is my personal belief that it's during that three hours when Jesus Christ was made sin for us. But during this six-hour period, Jesus will speak seven different times. Jesus is the Word, is He not? And here in this text, the Word begins to speak. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on the wounded word. The wounded word. These seven sayings that Jesus spoke from the cross. And I want to look at them tonight. And the reason I've chosen this for our text, we'll find the first words that he says from the cross. We find them here in verse number 34. We know what the Bible said in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment. And cast lots. I call this first words the forgiving words. It's amazing to me that the first words that Jesus spoke from the cross after all the torture, all the pain, all the agony he has went through, the first thing he says is, Father, forgive them. Oh, does that not speak of the mercy of God? Does that not speak of the grace of God? I noticed three things in this little phrase. First of all, I noticed the direction he said, Father. Here in this text, he takes the position of our mediator. In other words, what he is doing, amen. Well, in other words, what he is doing in this verse, he is going to God on their behalf. They could not go to God on their own, but there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And it is during this first saying of the cross that Jesus becomes our mediator. He becomes our daysman. He becomes our go-between. He goes to God on our behalf. And aren't you glad that we have a mediator tonight? John put it like this. If any man see it, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. I don't know about you, honey, but I'm 
I'm so glad the first words he spoke at Calvary were words of forgiveness. I note the direction, but then I notice the desire. He said, Father, forgive them. Who was that them he's talking to? It was that them that condemned him to death. It was that them that put nails in his hands and feet. It was that them that put a crown of thorns on his head. It was that them that spat in his face. It was that them that mocked him. It was that them that stripped him. It was that them that would thrust that spear into his side. But aren't you glad Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Wow. That's amazing to me. Or the direction, the desire, and the darkness, Jesus said, for they know not what they do. He said, they don't even realize what's going on. So the first words that the Lord Jesus speaks are the forgiving words. Secondly, tonight, if you were to look in verse number 43 of this same text, we find the second saying that Jesus made from the cross. He will say, verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I call this the freeing word, the freeing word. Here's why I call that, because this man who he is speaking to is guilty. He is hanging on the cross. He is a heartbeat from hell. But I noticed this was a prompted word because in verse number 42, that thief who had been railing on him begins to change his tomb and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This man was crying out for mercy. He was crying out for grace. It was a prompted word, but it was a personal word. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee. Hey, may I remind you tonight, salvation is personal. You can't get saved for anybody else and nobody else can get saved for you. But aren't you glad to serve a God who has a personal salvation? Hey, it was 25 years ago yesterday as a five-year-old boy. My daddy couldn't get saved for me. My mama couldn't get saved for me. But on that Wednesday night, I knelt at that altar and I came to Christ and Christ took me. It was a personal salvation. A prompted word, a personal word. It was a promising word. He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, tomorrow. No, ain't what he said. Next week. No, he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And aren't you glad salvation is not a process, but salvation is a person, amen. It takes place in the instant, amen. He said, you're talking about kingdom. How about today, amen. I'm telling you, aren't you glad we serve a God who has a salvation that can reach further than sin has gone? Salvation ain't a process. Salvation's a person. Salvation ain't in a list of things that you got to go through. This step and that step. I tell you, you in the moment, hey man, anybody listen to me? The moment that you call out to God in salvation, the moment you come to Christ, He takes you just as you are. Hey, I'm telling you, honey, if you if Jesus would take you just like you are, would you take Jesus just like He is? I promise you this: you're coming out better on the deal than He is. When He got me, He didn't get nothing in the life of sin and shame and sorrow. But when I, I got him, I got life. I got joy. I got peace. I got satisfaction. I got heaven. Thank God I got saved. This is the freeing word. And yes, that man died a thief. But he walked into heaven the same day Adam did. He went down to paradise. 
And the Bible teaches that during the three days and three nights of Jesus in the heart of the earth that he led captivity captive. They could not go to heaven. Those Old Testament saints could not enter into heaven because the blood had not been applied on the mercy seat yet. And so they was down in Abraham's bosom according to Luke chapter number 16. But when Jesus put his blood on that mercy seat and the price was paid, he brought that crowd out of paradise into heaven. And that old rotten thief who had robbed walked into heaven with another thief. So I said, preacher, who's the other thief? Adam, he stole from his father, but they walked in together. And if that thief looked at Adam and said, How'd you get here? Adam would point at Jesus. And if Adam looked at that thief and said, How'd you get here? He'd point at Jesus. They both say, I come by the way of the cross. I came by Calvary. I came by the, anybody listen to me? I came by the blood. I came by salvation, by grace, through faith. So that is the freeing word. You were to turn to John chapter 19 with me. We'll look at the third statement from the cross. John chapter 19, verse 26. The Bible said, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. From that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. I call this the family word. This indicates a couple of things. First of all, we see the Lord's care in this verse. This tells me that in this verse that Joseph has already passed away. Let me say this. You talk about dysfunctional families. Jesus had a dysfunctional family. He's got brothers and sisters. Are you hearing me? His brother James will write the book of James. His brother Jude will write the book of Jude. But he's having to get John to take care of Mama. Even Jesus had a family that wasn't all together. We see his care. He wanted to make sure that Mary was taken care of. May I remind you tonight that we don't worship Mary. Mary is nothing. Mary was highly favored among women, but if she did not trust Christ, she'd die and go to hell too. She'd die without God too. The Catholics make too much of Mary, and the Baptists don't make enough of Mary. Somebody say amen right there. I'll tell you, she was highly favored. She was a pure lady, and she was the avenue that God used to bring his son to the world and Jesus ain't going to be a debtor to any man or woman. He said, you make sure she's taken care of. I see care in this phrase, but I see confidence in this phrase because he knew John would take care of her. I find it amazing that Jesus trusted John enough that he knew that he'd take care of mama. May I ask you a question tonight? Can Jesus count on you? Well, preacher, that don't seem like a big task. Oh, what a big task to take care of the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And John was faithful to that task. We find, if you go to Matthew now, Matthew chapter 27, please. We'll look at the fourth saying. Matthew chapter number 27. I normally don't have you turn, but I want you to see these. I want you to mark them in your Bible. That way you have them in chronological order. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 46. The Bible says, it was about the ninth hour. Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe that in this text tonight is when God turned the lights off. I believe that it's during this time, and I believe Scripture proves it, that God told the sun not to shine. It's interesting. First, thing, first time, Brother Larry, Jesus calls out to God, he says, Father. But in this text, he says, my God. Why? 
because his father had forsaken him. Because it is during this time that 2 Corinthians 5.21 takes place. He was made sin for us. I note a couple things in this. Number one, I noticed the request. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I preached this before, but you understand it's amazing to me. Jesus does something here in this text that I've heard Baptist preachers preach all my life. You're not supposed to do. He asked God why. And God didn't get mad at him about it. There's the request. But then there's the reason. Why did God forsake his son? It's because of the application of sin. Sin was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made sin for us. I like how Brother Rudy Smith put it though. Why hast thou forsaken me? Brother Rudy made this statement. We are the why. I want you to think about that. Jesus says, my God, my God, why? But we were the why. You know why the father forsook his son? For somebody like me and for somebody like you. They had enjoyed fellowship in eternity past, never been separated until this moment. Why? So the ones that were on the outside, ones that were alienated away from God, could be brought into the family. So that the son, of, the son of God that died at the hands of the sons of men, so the sons of men could become the sons of God. This is the forsaken word. I hasten and I go to John chapter 19 again with me, please. John chapter 19, turn there with me, please. We'll look at the fifth saying from the cross. John chapter number 19, verse number 28. The Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he saith, I thirst. I wrote two things down about this little phrase, I thirst. I call this the famished word. This shows, this shows his humanity physically. Here's what I mean by that. It was a common belief that those crown of thorns that they put on the Lord Jesus' head had a poison in them. And in that poison, it would cause the victim to be thirsty. Physically, he's thirsty. They've not given him meals. They've not given him water to drink. They've been torturing him. And he cries out, I thirst. A songwriter some years ago wrote this chorus. He said, I thirst. Yet he made the rivers. He said, I thirst. Yet he made the seas. I thirst, said the king of all heaven. But in his great thirst, he brought water to me. He was thirsty so I wouldn't have to be thirsty anymore. He looked at that woman in John 4 and said, if you knew of the water, you'd ask. She said, give me that water. He said, it's a, wa a well of everlasting water. But he said, I thirst. It shows his humanity physically, but also, see something else. I believe it shows his heart spiritually. I thirst. What is thirst likened to in the Bible? Well, in Psalm 42, the psalmist said, my soul thirsteth for God. You know what he was? He said, Lord, I'd sure like to have you. God, I'd sure like to have your presence. But God didn't come. Why? He could have called 10,000 angels, they said, but he didn't. He went through thirst. He went through pain. He went through agony. All because he loved somebody like you and he loved somebody like me. What love this evening? 
If you look, stay there in John 19. We get to the sixth word. You know this, John 19, verse 29 and 30. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it with the sponge with vinegar and put it on, upon a hyssop and put it in his mouth. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. This is a word of certainty. He said, It is. There was no doubt about it. There are men that go around and preach that Jesus had to burn in hell to pay for our sins. Mm, I have friends of mine that believe that, and I can't help they don't read the Bible. Because Jesus clearly says in this text, it is finished. You can't show me where he went to hell and burned. He went to hell and cleaned out the place, amen. Cleaned, led captivity, but he did not burn in hell. Why? Because all the suffering, all the payment, all the pain took place on the cross. It is a word of certainty, but it was a word of completion. It is finished. I've given you this before, but just for sake of preaching, it is the Greek word teleestai. This word was used in several different areas of life. A servant would use this word teleestai when he had completed a mission. He would go to his master and say, teleestai. What you sent me to do, it is finished. And is that not what Jesus did in John 17? He said, I finished the work you've called me to do. What you sent me to do, I finished it. I have completed it. A priest would examine an animal for blemishes before they were sacrificed. And if that lamb was found faultless and perfect and acceptable, the priest would say, Teleastai, it is complete. It is finished. You can't add anything to it. An artist would, or a painter or a sculptor would use that when he put the last touching on his masterpiece. And he'd sign in the bottom right corner and he would say, Teleestai, can't add anything to it. It's finished. A merchant, when a bill and a debt had been paid, and that debt had been paid in full, he would say, it is finished. Teleestai. A general, after he'd won a great victory, would ride back into town on the stallion and they would cry, Teleestai, it is finished. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was. He was a servant. And he finished the work he was sent to do. He was a priest and he found that sacrifice himself faultless. He was an artist and he put a finishing touch on salvation. You can't add anything to it. He was a merchant that paid a debt for all mankind. And he was a general that won the battle at Calvary. It is finished. That's why we cannot add any works to salvation. We can't add any good deeds to salvation. Because Calvary covered it all. Finally tonight, I ask you to turn back to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter number 23 tonight. I'm preaching on the wounded word. We've looked at all these sayings. I want to look at the final saying tonight. Father, verse 46, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. I call this the final word. The final word. In this little phrase, I see two things. First of all, this speaks of his position. Notice he did not say, God, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But he said, Father. You know why? He wouldn't sin no more because it's finished. <laughs> I I, you should get more excited about that. Amen. He said, my God, my God, when that sin was poured upon him. But when he said it is finished, he said, Father.
<laughs> Amen. Hey, that's that family title again. It speaks of his position. But then it speaks of his power. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You know what he said? I'm going to decide when I die. He prophesied that in John 10. He said, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life. No man take it from me. He said, no man take it from me, but I lay it down myself. I had the power to lay it down. And honey, you better believe he has the power to take it up again. They did not murder the Lord Jesus. Amen. I know there's guys that preach, and I'm not harping on that, but there's a guy in town preaching that, that Jesus was murdered. He what? You can't murder somebody that willingly lays down their life. He willingly laid down his life. Hey, man, he did not fight. He went as a lamb before his, before his shears was dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. The devil could not kill Jesus Christ. Hell could not kill Jesus Christ. The world could not kill Jesus Christ. But when he was ready to die, he he gave up the ghost. So as a preacher, what's the significance of that? Because when he was ready to resurrect, he got up, thank God, and up from the grave he arose with a mighty tribe or his foes. Thank God we serve a risen Savior tonight. His life was not taken, but he willingly laid it down, thank God. And when that happened, Luke says, the veil in the temple was rent. From top to bottom. It is Jewish culture that Caiaphas, the high priest, was behind the veil at that time, making the evening sacrifice. And can you imagine the shock and the shudder that happened when he was sprinkling that blood of that goat or that lamb on the mercy seat? God reached down from heaven and he ripped that veil in half. And it's never been put up again because now access has been granted. Amen. There is a there is an opportunity for us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need you know why because the word was wounded the word was wounded but he made a way so this morning I knelt on my face before God and when I prayed I walked right in and I was able to pray why because Jesus paid it all he said father into thy hands I commend my spirit and I'm going to ruin the story for you but he didn't stay dead he is alive. And I bless his name. He is the word. And on the cross, the word was wounded. And began to speak. And aren't you glad? He said, forgive them. Aren't you glad he extended mercy to those that were helpless? He showed us humanity. He was touched with the feelings. He had took care of his mama. He was thirsty. Felt forsaken. Said it is finished. And then he said, God is back in your hands. By the way, you're, that's where a good place to put your life is in the hands of God. Let's